Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. Uh, James is not with us again. Uh, new father duties are starting to take over his life, I think, so his his appearances might be more sporadic until he disappears on paternity leave permanently. But you've got me, Steve Norman. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Carol Petz. Hello. We didn't put her off last week. She's come back. Um, they usually do. Yeah. They usually do. Yes. It was a close Something. call. Yeah. <laughs> it, it took us a long time to get rid of Jerry, so <laughs> people tend to stick around once we've got them involved. Um, we worked on James, though. James isn't here. No. We've, we've got rid of James almost for a little while, anyway. Yes. yes. Even though it's his podcast, Even his website, his yeah. he's in charge of everything. We've we've got rid of him. It's been a been a coup. Like the sugar babes, there's no, no longer any of the original sugar babes. That's what we're like. None of the originals. And the, yes. look, I've got to work on Steve, and then it'll be just me, Carol, and I don't know, Matt. Yeah, we are yeah, the sugar babes. That is exactly right, Owen. That is <laughs> did the... someone watch Stuart Lee this week? Stuart Lee and Norman Lovett, who did the same kind of routine as Stuart Lee. So, you know, Norman Lovett is Holly. I think I'm going off on a tangent. Shut up, Owen. So basically, the perfect analogy for this podcast is we are the sugar babes. That's it. Yes. Um, before we go My into... review coming up soon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we've actually got some news this week. Um, Mickey Rooney has passed away. Um, he was... Who, just... Who's Mickey Rooney, Steve? Tell me, who's, who is he? He is a very famous <laughs> actor from... I suppose his, he was in his prime around the the, the 20s and 30s. Um, like I say, he's, right. he's he's very very well thought of, but probably before all of our time. And I can't really think of myself any films I've seen him in that he wasn't just doing a kind of cameo in. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think That's his glory time. days were probably well before our time. Um, yeah, as you say, I, I only vaguely remember him from just kind of popping up and, oh, hey, there's Mickey Rooney in the same way that you go, oh, hey, there's Stan Lee. But, you know, he got, he got a number of Academy Award nominations. He got a kind of equivalent of a Lifetime Achievement Award. I think Laurence Olivier said he was the best best actor America had produced. So he, he certainly had his plaudits. Yeah. It's well, but it's, it is, but then not, none of us have seen any of his films, so I quite, kind of feel quite bad about <laughs> About, you know, I mean, yeah, fine. But Laurence Olivier did say he's got some strange quotes about people anyway, I think. He was, um, this is going off on a tangent again, but he was talking to um, Hoffman, uh, what's his name, from The Graduate. And he was saying uh, it, he, was, he was preparing for one of these roles. Him and Laurence Olivier were in the same film together. And he said, I'm um, spending some time really trying to live as this character. So he spent three days trying to be this character. Lawrence Olivier sort of turns around to him and says, well, why didn't you just try acting? Which I think is a great quote from Lawrence Olivier. It's true. But, you know, method acting and all that. But, um, yeah, so this is going nowhere. Uh, this is probably one of those things that would be edited out in post-production, but we're just... Yes, if James kind of actually bothered to edit anything ever, but he doesn't, <laughs> so this will stay in. Um, but, yes, Mickey, so, Roo- Mickey Rooney, obviously, our, our thoughts go out to his friends and family. Um, and really, probably should try and watch one of his films from his from his peak, um, if one is readily available. Uh, moving on to the quiz, then uh, we lost Owen. 
Very much so. Yes. And, and I couldn't have lost any more with that <laughs> fucking choice of film. No. How was Movie 43, guys? I didn't even watch all of it because I was that annoyed by it. I probably watched about a third and I thought, this isn't going to get any better. And because it's like a, it's not really a film that follows a, a plot, well, it is in a way, but, you know, it's a series of sketches, essentially. I knew there's no character that I want to follow the progression. There's no, there's, I've, you know, once they got to an end of a certain sketch, I thought, I'm not going to bother. What's the point? This is terrible. <laughs> I can't believe that's it got made. Really, that's, that's kind of cheating, though, isn't it, Steve? I mean, you were kind of, you were tasked with watching it for losing the quiz, and you haven't actually watched it. I've watched, I've, I've, watched enough, I've watched enough of it to form an opinion. And the, whereas I subjected myself to the whole thing in the name of this podcast. In good faith. Was, yeah, it's, I've lost even more than Steve lost. Did, this did, is terrible. Did you find any redeeming qualities with Movie 43, Owen? None. At all. Nothing. It is the worst film that any of us have chosen so far. It's, it's not even... It is the most... It's it. the most diabolical comedy I've ever seen. It's not even a comedy. It's just a series of like famous actors and actresses doing these absolutely ridiculous, unfunny, uh, gross kind of humour, you know. And I can't believe they've got them involved. How people like, you know, Halle Berry. I know she's a little bit of a joke, but she's still like an Oscar-winning actress. She's what probably the not the best example you could have picked there, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> well, I'm trying to, you've got, yeah, exactly. Well, you've got, you know, I was trying to say, you've got big sort of A-lister Hugh, actresses. Hugh Jackman like, and Kate Perry. Winslet in the first sketch. Yeah, that's probably a yeah. better example. Yeah. Yeah. But then you've got people like Chris Pratt and Stephen Merchant, who you would have thought would know better than to do stuff like this. Do you and think it's just, that maybe they just uh, were like, oh, it's the fact because it's the Farrelly brothers, isn't it? Do you think they were maybe just, oh, brilliant, a chance to work with the Farrelly brothers? This will be amazing, no matter what happens. And they were just kind of sat there at the premiere, going, oh my god. I can only assume that yeah, they just thought, right, once we're in, we're in, and then or, this happened. Or maybe a lot of people in Hollywood owe the Farrelly brothers a big favour. That's another. What well, a waste of a favour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was actually quite interested because I, I would have quite fancied seeing it just because I do love a good, bad film. Uh, you know, I'm a big trauma fan. And um, I was quite interested to see it, but I didn't have to, so I didn't get around it. This is not a good, bad film. This is a bad, bad film. It's that bad. Yeah, it's that bad. I still it's, kind of want to see it. It's, it's that bad. It transcends being so bad it's good and just carries right on through to it being so bad it's bad. Yeah. At least Hugh Jackman's just in the first vignette, though. Yeah. Yeah. So with bollocks on his chin. Well, it's such a dragged out sketch as well. It goes on for ages. It's just one joke. There's one joke, and it's not even funny. And it just carries on and on and on. And it's, well, it's much like the rest of the film as well. All the sketches just go on forever, and they're just the least funny sketch. It's like someone chewed up and swallowed a BBC3 sketch show and then shat it out. Oh, with force yeah, onto the screen. If this didn't have famous names attached to it, this wouldn't even make it onto BBC3. That no. is, is that is high praise. <laughs> All the opposite. <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty bad, isn't it? Because there, there has been some true, truly awful stuff on BBC3 lately. It's like you remember James Corden and the other guy from Gavin and Stacey, and they did their sketch show. Yeah, and it was yeah. really awful. It's like that, but worse. Well, no, because it doesn't have James Corden. Or does no, it? it is worse. No, actually. Mm. He's not quite A-lister enough for this, unbelievably. <laughs> for something this shit as this. Um, anyway, that, that leaves us with James winning the quiz, but in his absence, Carol's taking on the role of, of quiz master. Yes, I am. Which, which TV quiz host do you identify with the most? Um, I think probably Bob Holness. I was a big Bob Holness fan. When I was little, I actually wrote to Bob Holness to tell him that he taught me how to spell. He sent me back a, a signed photograph. It's lovely. I was quite nice. upset when he died. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Bob. Uh, Embody Bob Holness for this. Uh, yeah. A little while ago on here, we had to explain to any kind of non UK listeners who um. 
Bradley Walsh and Philip Schofield were. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bother with Bob Holness. He's just well, a, a quiz show host who who used to be alive. Just say that he was the first James Bond. He was the first James Bond on radio, and leave it at that. Really. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. He was so the first person to play James Bond in any kind of medium other than book. Yeah. There we are. Notorious uh, quiz host James Bond. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been brilliant, wouldn't it? If he hosted Blockbuster and Tux. What in character? <laughs> Down the gun barrel to the letter. <laughs> Anyway, um, anyway, yes, do, do a quiz. Okay. Um, this is probably going to be quite an easy one, actually, but uh, here goes nothing. All right. So your first clue is one of my own personal favourite 80s films, Working Girl. Mm, not seen it. Not seen it. Oh, my God. Mm, no, I've not seen it. Okay. Um, let's see. Your second clue is no that one's far too easy. Hang <laughs> on just a second. Uh see no evil, hear no evil. Not seen it. Not seen it? Uh, Owen? I don't know. No, no I okay. don't know. Alright, so no. this will be a bit easier. Your third clue is Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Owen. Alec Baldwin. Nope. No. No. I kind of think he's in Glengarry Glen. Apart from Alec Paul. Yeah, who well, is no, in Glengarry Glen Ross and see no evil, hear no evil? That's the mm. tricky that's, that's the big question, isn't it? Are we saying no? Yeah, let's, let's move uh, on. No. Okay, uh, your next clue. It's getting quite difficult to find ones that aren't, uh, aren't <laughs> going to be really, really easy now. Uh, is, let's see, your next clue is Fred Claus. Hmm. Famous Vince Vaughn. Yeah. yeah. Steve, uh, is it Kevin Spacey? It is Kevin Spacey. <laughs> oh, well done, Steve. <laughs> I had this slight inkling that he was in Fred Claus, and I don't know why, because I don't even think I've seen it. But I've probably seen a poster for it, and I probably I, I don't ever remember seeing him in the posters. I'm pretty sure I've seen the film, but I don't ever remember seeing him in the posters. But anyway. In see no evil, hear no evil. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen, since I've seen that. I always thought he's Kurt, yeah. apparently. Hmm. My brother met Kevin Spacey. Maybe I was channeling that. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I'd like to actually. I'd like to dedicate that quiz to my lovely partner who um, tried to was on the phone for quite a long time today trying to get me tickets to Clarence Darrow at the old Vic, which is probably going to be his last play there and failed horribly. So, but thank uh, you anyway. <laughs> um, so does he listen to the podcast? Well, he does now. He will now, okay. <laughs> he will now. <laughs> uh, so, Steve, I think that means you have to pick a film. No, I've got to win three. Out you've got to win three? Of, yes, you've got to win three to pick the film. Um, oh, yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I'm on my way. So I've, you know, got plenty of time to plan an awful film to watch. Or maybe I'll just be nice and, and get us out of this rut of rubbish films. <laughs> or, or I could Unlikely. stage a comeback, Steve. I could stage a comeback. Possibly. Don't a com- get, yeah, don't, a comeback. Get it? Yeah, I'll, I'll get it. More on that later. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Yeah, um, right. But anyway, after the break, we'll have uh, a hybrid of what we've been watching and our new release reviews. Yes, so this week, with um, a lack of new releases seen across the board, we're going to put uh, our new release reviews and what we've been watching into one section. Um, I'm going to kick us off because I've not been able to see a new release for boring reasons I won't bore people with, but I have watched a film that I haven't seen for a long time, which was uh, the first Austin Powers film. I don't know why I watched this. International Man of Mystery, that was the first one. Um, it must have been on television somewhere. I heard they're making a fourth one. <coughs> and and I was a bit kind of like, why bother? It's been a while, just leave it. And so I thought, well, I'll watch this one to see if it's still funny. It's not aged well. Uh, no, it's it's not it's not aged well at all. It's I don't know if it if if I just found it funnier because I was younger when it came out and I had a more juvenile sense of humour or if it or if it 
was never really that good, <clears throat> or if it has aged badly, but it, it's not that good. It's not that funny. Obviously, Austin saw... Powers is played by Mike Myers, and he's a he's a kind of it's a parody of a James Bond film, really, isn't it? Yeah, all those spy sort of um, yeah. films and TV series that were out in the like sixties and stuff. Yes, um, Mike Myers plays a number of characters. Actually, he only plays himself. Uh, he only plays Austin Powers and Doctor Evil in this one, doesn't he? Yes. Yes. And then he goes um, on. Does he play Black Masters? No, no, that's, that's not until the second. One. No. Is that the second one? No. Yeah, the second one. I saw. I saw Goldmember not too long ago. First time I've seen it since well, I don't know since I was about twelve or however old I was when it came out, and I thought actually it wasn't that bad. It was still, I mean, I never thought that much of Goldmember anyway, but it was it was still pretty funny in places. So maybe that's just aged a bit better than the original ones. I have to admit, I did see the original one not very long ago, and I I still found it really funny. I don't know whether that says anything about me. Um, it's just more of a straightforward parody of all the uh, of all the Bond films. I, I do love the bits with the henchmen as well, where they uh, where they have to call their families and stuff like that, which is just uh, at, the, at the time it was just like hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of liked it. I think the the second one and probably the third one as well, a bit more scatological for my liking, which, you know, it's all right if you like that sort of thing. But for a straight-up uh, kind of pastiche of... And I'm a big fan of Bond anyway, so I can I can see exactly where they're trying to... what they're trying to do with most of it. Yeah, I, I found... I have to admit, I still found it quite funny. I'd, Not the second one there, it's rubbish. I, st- I still did, like... <laughs> I still did, like, random task throwing a shoe at Austin Powers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who throws a shoe? Yeah. <laughs> I still do the, I'm, it's really immature, but I still do the one million dollars thing every so often. When you just see like a million dollars, like someone says it on the news, I still repeat it in that Dr. Evil voice. <laughs> Grow up. Uh, I should. Um, but yes, no, it's, I, I didn't think it aged that well. There's still, there were still bits in it that, that made me laugh. I like the bit with Christian Slater. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, in general, I just don't think it's aged very well, and I can't really see the point bringing it back for a fourth one so so I agree long with that. so long after yeah. the, the the third one was made. Is this going to be the kind of view to a kill of the Austin Powers franchise then, where he's <laughs> clearly too old to be a spy and to be uh, snogging young ladies? It could be um, the Casino Royale of it, couldn't it? Reboot it as a serious spy drama. Yeah, but Daniel Craig is like 65. That's true. So, you know. Um, Owen, you've got, you've got a couple of films for us, haven't you? Uh, yes. Um, I am, I'm, I kind of didn't know which one to talk about, so I'm going to talk about both of them, because I think they both deserve to be mentioned on the podcast. The first one is the film I've been waiting to see for ages, for months and months. Um, and it's still not technically released in the UK, although it is sort of a new release because it came out last week on Blu-ray in France. And that's Snowpiercer, which is um, an English-language uh, Korean film by a director called Bong Joon-ho, who is probably famous mostly for... Um, he did Memories of Murder, and he did um, The Host. It's quite a famous one that he did, a sci-fi thing with... Uh, a guy called Song Kang Ho, who's an actor I really like, and who also features in Snowpiercer. But it's essentially it's a story of um, a train that goes around the world, and humanity is forced to live on this train now, what's left of humanity, because the world is frozen. It's turned into this, this snow-covered ice globe uh, after scientists try to combat global warming by firing these things, these chemicals, into the atmosphere, and all it did was just kind of cover the, the snow cover the, the earth in snow so it's sort of set up a new ice age if you like um but it is kind of also a social commentary a dystopian sci-fi sort of film you've got the poor people who um forced to live at the rear of the train they live in this abject squalor um and at the front of the train all the rich people live and they've got all these fancy different things they've got all these nice foods at the back they just have to eat these protein jelly cubes that's the only food they have Whereas at the front they're eating like sushi and and all that kind of thing, so it's um it's a very it's a not very subtle social commentary, but it is a social commentary, and it probably did come with quite a bit of uh, what 
you know, expectations almost, because it is quite a controversial film, purely because of the, the furore surrounding its release. You know, it's, I mean, as I say, it's not even released in the UK. It's not even released in the US yet, um, because there are different problems which... I would be here all night if we started talking about the problems around um, the Weinsteins and the cuts they want to make to the film, the things they want to do to it, like changing the ending or putting narration over it and stuff like that, which um, the director has basically turned around and said, no, fuck off, I'm not doing any of those changes. This is going to be distributed as it is or not at all. So they're in a, a little bit of an impasse over that. Um, although I think the last thing I read, there may be a limited cinema release in the UK at some point this year. Um, but anyway, I wasn't going to wait for that. I'm too impatient. So I, I spent about 25 quid getting this Blu-ray from, from France. And, oh, just a, a, a point I keep forgetting to make, but if you intend on doing the same thing, it's also worth noting the audio on the Blu-ray, you can select English as an audio language. There are no English subtitles. So there's about four or 5%, I'd say, of the film, which is spoken in Korean. So unless you speak Korean, or you can read French subtitles. You may struggle a little bit with that, so I'm just saying <laughs> it's a bit, bit tricky. But um, I, th- I think I've got the gist of what was going on in that time fraction of the film. Um, the rest of it is really good. It's got a, a, an absolutely A-list cast. You've got Chris Evans in there, um, who you know recently played uh, Captain America in Winter Soldier, our review last week. And you've got uh, people like John Hurt and uh, Tilda Swinton, and, uh, uh, Jamie Bell, an up-and-coming um, actor as well as people like say Song Kanko and um, Cole Asung who was also in the host she was the girl the little girl in the host um, and it's just it is really good um, I was a little bit wary because I, I kind of hyped it up a lot to myself thinking is it actually going to be any good at all but it is it's really good it's, it's got a you know typical twisty element to it towards the end as seems to be inserted into most of these big budget Korean films Um but otherwise, it's, it's you know it's got a lot of suspense, it's got a lot of tension. Some of the action scenes in it, con- considering it is confined, most well, all of it is pretty much consigned to carriages of a train. So you've got a very closed set for most scenes. They still manage to get some very big, interesting, creative action scenes inserted into there. Um, and of course, like I say, the story is very good. It's, it is a, a social commentary. It's a very blunt social commentary. Um, but it's still quite interesting. It talks about uh, issues that come up in lots of big-budget sci-fi films recently, stuff like, you know, um, Elysium, and we talked about Oblivion in the past, um, and, you know, Total Recall even. All the, the same environmental issues and the same downtrodden poor stuff that gets is quite frequent in these newer sci-fi films. That is all there as well, but it is done in a slightly different way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I can honestly say I, I really enjoyed it. I definitely recommend it. I can appreciate it. it's probably not going to be for everybody. There are some um, problems with different parts of the film, but I'm not going to go into detail on those because when I finished it, when I turned it off, I just felt like I really enjoyed it. Um, so that's all I'm going to say. And it was a really entertaining sci-fi. Um, yeah, but the, the, the other kind of new release, which is a bigger new release, I suppose, um, is the new Darren Aronofsky film, Noah, starring uh, Russell Crowe as the, uh, what was Noah? <laughs> um, it is kind of like a po-faced retelling of the biblical story. Um, you know, you've got Noah who's building an ark, the animals go in two by two, and it's it's that kind of story. But at the same time, it is more about the the family drama. So it's all about Noah and his, his wife and his children, um, and how they're really kind of like the last of Seth's children uh you know he's, they're the last of that that race if you like and um they're being uh slowly outswamped by the descendants of Cain, and uh the leader of who is played by ray winston who i know a lot of people are kind of sick of him at the moment he, he is almost everywhere he's on every other advert he's on loads of, he's making tv yeah, did, did, right did his center. face pop up halfway through the film offering you odds on <laughs> On you know how many people, yeah, how many people would survive yeah. the flood? Yeah. Bet him play you know, now. I, I half expected him to go, "Oh, I get on that boat, you fucking slag," but he kind of toned it down. Now that would have um, been brilliant. I quite, I quite like Ray Winston. I know he is overexposed, but I do like Ray Winston. I think he is a very good actor, um, and he he is good in this. He is just like fearsome 
Um, and but he complements Russell Crowe really well. There's a scene, uh, well, there's quite a few scenes where they sort of square up to each well, other face to face. I suppose he's just playing a biblical football hooligan, isn't he? <laughs> from from the trailer yeah. I've seen, he's he's playing a, a leader of a p- bunch of people who want to fight someone else. That is a bit unfair on Ray Winston in this. Honestly, he's good. He he's shown he's been good in other films. You know, something like um, Sexy Beast shows how how brilliant an actor he can be. And I know he gets typecast as like a football hooligan or a gangster or you know in we talked about him in the Swedie last year and you know he plays that sort of character quite a bit um but given the opportunity like he's given here he shows he's he's more than just that um but like I say yeah it's mainly the scenes where he is squaring up to Russell Crowe and they're playing off each other um which it could have done with more of those scenes to be honest because uh, Russell Crowe, he was good. He was just his usual self, really. He's just a massive screen presence. Fighting around the he, world. Fighting around <laughs> the world. He literally does a bit of fighting around the world in this. You'll be pleased to know. Um, but, you know, he, it's that same thing. Uh, he can't, I know there's that quote that keeps getting thrown up. You know, he was the best fucking actor in the world. I think he said about himself years ago. Um He's not the best fucking actor in the world. When he when he when he said when he said it, he probably wasn't far off. What being the best? Depend if he said if he said it around the time he was doing Gladiator and a couple other things, and he probably wasn't far off. Yeah, but then he sang in Les Misérables, so. Well, yeah, Yeah. you can call it singing. And then he played Robin Hood, and that was yeah. So you know. Um, (laughs) but otherwise, yes, he is very good. He kind of reminds me. uh, It's uh, not in terms of his acting ability because they're quite far apart but he reminded me a little bit of John Wayne in the sense that he just owned the screen when he was on in Noah he just it was his to, to play with um, and not taking anything away from Aronofsky's direction because that was also fantastic this is some of his best looking work in Noah some of it is just stunning um, you know there's silhouetted scenes that just look incredible um there's a repeated scene um that's used to, in quite a trippy way of um you know the there's lots of scenes of adam and eve well not lots of scenes but it's a recurring scene of adam and eve uh, and the apple and uh, the you know the snake that tempted them and stuff like that so there's the, there's that that keeps recurring throughout and that looks great as well it just fits perfectly and he's he's a master of that kind of thing um and it's a bit, I mean, it's a very good looking film. It, it looks very good. The acting in it is slightly varied. I know I've talked about how good Ray Winston and Russell Crowe are. Emma Watson, she's basically, I mean, I, I never saw, well, I say I never saw the Harry Potter films. I've seen a couple of the Harry Potter films and I couldn't tell you which ones I've seen and I don't really remember anything about there's them. Pro- there's so, probably more Emma- magic in this film than there is in Harry Potter. There you go. I'm doing a religion uh, joke. Controversial. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, so but I was going to say that she's not she's not Hermione to me. She's just Emma Watson, um, and she's good, but she's not. She kind of gets uh, when when the scenes with her and Russell Crowe, for instance, she just seems a bit amateurish. But when she's on her own, she seems quite good. The same with with Jennifer Connelly. There are some more serious roles that they have to play in this because it is a very tragic story. Like I say, it focuses on the family and the impact of how the entire human race is being wiped out because God wills it and the, the pressures it puts them under. And they have to play some very serious um, scenes. And to varying degrees, I would say, that's me being kind of, they play it to varying degrees. Um, oh yeah, I mean you've also got Anthony Hopkins who basically turns up and plays Anthony Hopkins that he seems to do in everything it's just he might as well have just been called Hopkins you know, that might have been his character's who, name for who is he playing then? Um, he was I mean, he playing he was, yeah. sorry, go on I was just going to say he was just playing um, Russell Crowe's granddad that was, that was his role I thought you were going to say he was playing God Hopkins as God. Which That's kind of disappointing because yeah, he yeah, he's, which is basically 
the next best thing, isn't it? The old father. Yeah. yeah, he could have quite easily have played God. I was quite, quite disappointed when you said that. Um, I haven't yeah. seen this yet, but I do want to. I'm a big Aronofsky fan. Um, is it, I mean, how does it compare to the rest of his work? I'm very um, aware that he's been given suddenly a lot of money, whereas before he's been making things on budgets of five, ten million dollars. Uh, and even then he's managed to make things look amazing. The Fountain, I don't care what anyone says, The Fountain is one of my favourite films of the last ten years. Um, and, and was made for about, I think it was like three million dollars in the end. It was ridiculous. Um, so given that amount of money, how does he how does he cope with it? Um, well, it's interesting just to bring up the topic of The Fountain because I think there's parts of that which look fantastic and you know they're so it's such a spectacular film in in many different respects that it after noah well probably ahead of noah in some scenes it is his best looking work mm-hmm. um but the fountain for me also has some of the most shit stupid outright hilarious scenes in it i can't really judge the fountain it's both brilliant and fucking awful at the same time um but compared to his, uh, uh, yeah, interestingly, the other thing as well, it's the right the, the guy who produced a lot of Aronofsky's films with him and also wrote The Fountain is back writing this. It's the same guy. And I think it's the only two films they've collaborated on as writers um, other than The Fountain. So the, the script to this is, it's a lot more consistent than The Fountain. Um, but that might just be me. But then I'm also quite backwards, I think, in the sense that I think Black Swan is his best film. And that doesn't seem to be the common consensus. Yeah, it's probably my second favourite of his. Okay. Yeah, you know, lots of people like Requiem for a Dream, uh, which is also a really good film. I also really liked Wrestler. Uh, Pi I was a bit unsure about. But, um, yeah, it's interesting because this is such a much bigger budget and it shows that, you know, there's there's such a lot of... um, But it is almost a biblical epic. There's a huge cast to it. You've got the... The, uh, an expensive cast as well, I imagine, um, with Russell Crowe, he must have cost a bit of money. But then you've got the sets that look amazing. Um, the designs are just just breathtaking as well at times. The actual flood scene—that's uh, not a spoiler. It's an, it's no get over it. There's, there's a flood that looks just astonishing, you know. So in that sense, yeah, I mean, it, 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 after some scenes in the fountain, it's probably his best looking how, film. How did the animals? Tell it's expensive. How did the animals look? How did the animals look? Well, yeah, you know, um, was, like it, was animals, it all CGI? Was it realistic? Was it, or you know? No, it was CGI. You can tell CGI. I mean, well, um, more importantly, does it address the fact that why were the unicorns left off the ark? Oh well, some some of these animals, you see, they got became extinct because of uh, belligerent. Because of the flood, didn't they? That's you know, the you know when you thing. you know when you see like a news report of Hurricane Katrina and, and there's people going, "I'm not leaving my home," I'm not, and everyone's like, "Get out!" and they they refuse to. Unicorns <laughs> were like unicorns. that. Yeah, on top of the rock, I'm yeah. not leaving. Yeah, belligerent. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to make one last point because it. I don't like ending reviews on a on a donor, but it is a donor. The even though it is a biblical story, and I know for some people that's probably, this next, next comment's probably going to be quite offensive, but it, it's too much of a fantasy story. For a film that focuses on um, the realistic side of a family under the stress of what they have to endure. You know, an early civilization, and there's lots of different, different conflicts that are occurring, and everyone's been cast out by God from the Garden of Eden, there's not enough food going around, that sort of thing. There's um, there's that element to it. Then they have these stupid rock monsters. You know, They're the watchers, they're the, the angels that have been cast down by God because they tried to help Adam and Eve. And they've just covered, they've been covered in these, like, this dirt and this mud and these stones. And they're just out of place. I don't remember that. I mean, I've not, I've not read it, like, in depth or anything. But I don't remember that in any kind of the, the children's versions I've been told. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm not, I'm not a Bible student by any means, but I do not remember rock monsters. Yeah, I thought that was, like, the, the one of the worst bits in, in The Hobbit was when these mountains started fighting each other. And... Yeah. I mean, it kind of has that same feeling to it. 
it's just a bit what why are they what why is the little kid playing with what monsters what is going on why can't this uh, this surely could have been left out if you were going to use watchers if you're going to use the angels the fallen angels you could uh i don't know maybe it's just me being fussy but i just thought it it took me out of the film a little bit for something that's about a real uh human emotion to have these stupid silly gargoyle things you know I don't know. I didn't like that element to it. But, well, I mean, otherwise, yeah, it is a very good film. Um, I I still think um, Black Swan's probably my favourite film. But this is pretty close, you know. It's very, it's a very good film. Okay, and Carol, what have you seen this week? Um, I haven't seen an awful lot. I've had a bit of a busy week, unfortunately. Um, I did re-watch The Raid over the weekend um, because we're planning to go and see it probably next weekend so I wanted to refresh my memory um so I'm not going to really go over it too much because I'm pretty well obviously uh, Owen talked about the Raid 2 last week said it was excellent incidentally um Owen I did actually notice that the Raid 2 the the, the original Raid is 1 hour 40 the Raid 2 is two oh, and a yeah. half hours two and a half hours that's yeah. just amazing um, does it feel that long <laughs> um this is tricky because I could have watched another two and a half hours of it but it really? does feel like a two and a half hour film, yeah. Yeah, because I, I was just thinking. Yeah, I mean, it, in the, the context of the first film, the pace to the raid or the raid redemption, whatever its full title is, is it's a it's a lot quicker. Everything moves a lot quicker, but it has to because it's all taking place as a raid on a terror block. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of stretched out across an entire city um, in the raid two, and it. There's a lot more plot that's tried to be developed. Um, to whether you think that's detrimental or not, you know, you'll find out when you watch it. But um, it, I, like I say, the action scenes in, in the Raid Two are just so so bloody good. I could have watched another two and a half hours, and I wouldn't have cared. But yeah, you definitely feel the, the runtime. Yeah, because I, I, mean, I think that's probably one of my favourite things about the first one is the, the exposition. You get a bit of exposition at the, at the top, and it's like, yeah, we're going into the tower block, take out the guy, the drug guy, and uh, and that's it. Really, you get like ten, fifteen minutes really of, of dialogue at the beginning, and then apart from that, it's about I don't know four lines in that whole film. But um, yeah, I was I was kind of thinking, oh my god, two and a half hours. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I love the raid. Uh, just fantastic. Some of the some of the action it's just absolutely brutal I still laugh every time the guy gets up with a light bulb sticking out of his head and just keeps on going it's just fantastic <laughs> you can't you can't not yeah. respect that guy because he nearly takes out two of them at one time with a light bulb sticking <laughs> out of his head you, you just can't argue with that um, yeah. and the other film that I watched uh, actually yesterday evening was um, I've been tasked with uh, cutting down the size of the TiVo uh, box that we have because uh, currently it's sitting at about 80% on a regular basis so uh, yesterday I sat down and picked out at random uh, The Losers uh, which is we've kind of on a Chris Evans tip this week aren't we with uh, yeah with uh, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer so The Losers yeah. got Chris Evans in it as well so it's basically um, a group of uh, CIA operatives I think it was and uh, they're on a up in Bolivia and it goes horribly wrong and, and lots of people die but not them even though they're meant to and they kind of swear revenge on the guy um, I'm not going to I'm not gonna lie it was pretty dull it starts off really well and I know Owen I know you're a big fan so you're probably going to disagree with me quite heavily here um, it starts off pretty good there's you know the exhibition again is, really, is over really quickly and uh, you know the, the action's pretty good and then it just kind of like tails off into nothing and the bad guy gets away, and you think, I think they were trying to set this up for a sequel, but it never quite came off. Um, a lot of the one-liners just don't hit the mark at all. And you can kind of see where they're going, but it just felt like someone just gave up halfway through. Uh, it's, you know, pretty, yeah, it gets pretty boring at the end. Jeffrey D. Morgan's really good, but then I like him a lot of stuff. Mm. Uh, Chris Evans is quite, quite likeable as well. I honestly can't remember who else was in it, uh, and I only watched it yesterday evening. <laughs> So it's, it's kind of it's a pretty diverting couple of hours, but I wouldn't um, I wouldn't particularly recommend it to be honest. If it was on TV, I'd, I'd probably say well, you know you you might like it, but it just kind of fizzled out for me into into nothing really, which is a bit of a disappointment because I did really like the way it started. Yeah, there's some really good scenes in it as well. I like the um, sniper scene 
um, when they're in the building with Chris Evans. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, quite good. That was quite funny. But the the problem I found with um with the losers was some of the jokes were just a bit. They just didn't hit. I don't know, broad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of toilet humour was in there as well, and that I think the Yo Mama was used a couple of times as well, which is a bit annoying. Yeah. Yo Mama jokes kind of thing, and it, it just makes the whole thing feel a bit naff, which is a shame because. You know, I've talked up action films in the past, but I quite like some of the action scenes in that. I thought The Losers was, um, yeah, I found it quite entertaining, their humour aside. I think it just went on for, I mean, it wasn't even a particularly long film, but I think it went on for probably about 20 minutes too long. Mm. It, even at the length it is, it can't have been more than an hour and 40, but I just felt like it, it just kind of overstayed its welcome a little bit, and by the end I was quite kind of bored and annoyed, really. <laughs> I, I heard um, an interview with Chris Evans on the radio not too long. Not that Chris Evans, I mean, you know, obviously Captain America, Chris Evans, um, who is unlikely to be on British radio. But the, uh, he was saying that um, about the losers, and someone asked him if there would possibly be a sequel. And I think he sounds like he would be up for it, which, you know, with a better script, if they get the same director in, the same sort of um, stunt coordinators and that kind of thing, there's a there's a, the foundations for a good film there. They just they just need to get the script a bit better. It felt like they were really obviously setting it up for a sequel when mm. you know the you know you got the scene at the end and the bad guys on the uh, on the crane and then the next thing you see is on the bus and you're like well hang on how did he get off the crane I don't understand what <laughs> and he just kind of like goes away on the bus and you're like yeah okay so someone's just put that in maybe someone's gone back and reshot that for a sequel mm. possibility um, but it didn't in, in the context of that film it just didn't work and it's as I said it's a shame because I really did like the way it started off it was kind of quick and like snappy one-liners and stuff yeah. and it just kind of yeah really tailed off unfortunately it, it needed a stronger villain as well I think yeah. it needed a proper face that could be the bad guy that was developed quite well and it kind of lacked that a little bit well, actually, because at the beginning you only see him, you only see his jaw, you only see his mouth, mm. and I was convinced it was Jason Schwartzman, and I thought, oh, okay, that's that's, that's pretty <laughs> good be because I, yeah, I really like Jason, and I think he's he's a really good villain. He's been in, been in Scott Pilgrim, he was pretty good, and I thought, yeah, all right, this is. I didn't know he was in it, but fine. It just panned up to this guy that I just had, did not know who he was, and I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I think mm. that's probably yeah, probably where the problem started. Really, he wasn't really threatening enough at all. Okay, um, well, I think that's going to round up our, our kind of what we've been watching section. And up next, we've got a uh, hastily arranged uh, triple bill. <laughs> right, so triple bill, hastily arranged. It is um, our best movie comebacks. This was meant to be because Jerry was meant to be on the podcast tonight after such a long time away, thus making a comeback. But he's not here, so it kind of ruins the link. But we didn't have time to think of anything else anyway. So here it is. Um, our best movie comebacks, quite liberal with this. You could pick a character returning in a film um, or a film kind of franchise returning um, or a actor or director returning after an absence um, or dip in quality of form to become kind of a... a back to the top of their game um, so Owen has probably finished writing his down now so we'll let him start <laughs> Should I start? Okay yes. Yeah I really struggle to think of some but uh, I mean I think the, the obvious choice uh, is obviously the Rocky films isn't it? I mean you think about how many comebacks he's had but in particular I'm thinking of Rocky Balboa um, which was written and directed by and starring Sly Stallone so it's almost like a return to the franchise for him um, as as himself, I guess, uh, after Rocky Five was directed by someone else and was fucking terrible. By far the worst film in that franchise. So, yeah, Rocky Balboa, released 2006, sort of came out um, at, at the early part of his run of um, of new sort of found success, if you like. You know, came back with Rambo uh, and then on to Rocky Balboa and then The Expendables was a big hit as well. Um so it came just at that early part of his uh, renaissance. And, yeah, I think it's a really good film. I um, it, it could have 
have gone either way. It's one of those films that the expectations were probably so low that I ended up enjoying it a lot more than I expected to, which helped, I guess. Um, but it's, I think it's a really well-made film. Uh, the drama in it around Rocky's wife, who's now dead, you know, Adrian's dead, and it's just it starts off very bleak, and it's, oh, no, is he... Has he got brain damage and what's going on? And then he decides to have one last boxing match, which admittedly, I can admit, that's a pretty stupid storyline. But it, it's written so, um, I don't know, what's the word? Charming. It's very charming and it's very endearing because well, it, because it's rocky. Wasn't, because it's, because it's, wasn't, him, it's wasn't, you know, he gets away with it. Wasn't the idea of the plot that they'd come up with some kind of, computer analysis that was said Rocky would have beaten or not beaten this like the current heavyweight champion so someone threw yeah. a load of money and just do a three round fight yeah, yeah. Like an and he finds out in a bar doesn't he yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's one of the best so, cinema um, experiences I've ever had uh, Rocky Balboa <laughs> it's, it's not the best film I've seen at the cinema for a long distance but it was just everyone was so up for it and you know during the final fight everyone's punching the air and whooping and everything and it was just, it was just like actually being in a in a boxing um, audience it was fantastic yeah I imagine it would have been it was um, it, yeah I mean I've quite liked the film anyway I think it's really good but it, it was a very good comeback for Sylvester Stallone as well as the Rocky character you know so, um, yeah, that was my first choice. Second choice I've gone for um, is also probably quite an expected choice. Um, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger and his comeback after he took time out to be uh, governor of California. And I'm not in, I'm not including things like his cameos in stuff like Welcome to the Jungle uh, or even his appearances in the Expendables films. You know, his first comeback was in Kim Ji-woon's first English language film, which was The Last Stand, which was released last year. Um, which, it, I mean, it was okay. I watched it in the cinema, and actually, at the time, I thought, this was really good fun. Um, I'm really pleased that it's quite, a, you know, they've come back with a decent film, very knowing film for, for Arnold to play as this old, retired, well, not retired, semi-retired sheriff of this small little town that's invaded by uh, a drug cartel and stuff like that. But, it, you know, it's very knowing, it was very self-aware. Uh, I watched it again this week, and yeah, I mean, it's okay. It's not as fun as I remember it, but it, it sort of set off that trail made for Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was in, in um, Escape Plan as well last year mm-hmm. with um, Sylvester Stallone, which he he was good in. The film itself had its problems, but, you know, he was he was good as the lead character in that alongside um, Stallone. And, you know, he's got Sabotage coming out in the next month or so, which I'm less than optimistic about but you know it's his comeback and if he continues to play um the kind of action roles that he did in the 80s and in the early 90s as well i don't think it's going to be as successful but to start with with the last stand it was a good comeback for me i was uh, really pleased when i when i walked out of the cinema after that and i thought yeah this this is arnold Schwarzenegger as the ex-action star doing something that's an ode to who he was. And, you know, I hope it continues in that vein, um, as well as it kind of did through Escape Plan as well. But, uh, did anybody else end up picking Arnold Schwarzenegger, or is this just too obvious a choice? Uh, too obvious, I'm afraid. <laughs> too obvious. <laughs> no, I've gone for a slightly more liberal interpretation of comeback, to be honest. Okay. Yeah, well, my, my final choice then, I don't know whether this is going to be the, the right within the rules of the, the Triple Bill. But I went for um, George A. Romero returning to the Living Dead series. You know, his original trilogy of Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day the Dead, ended in 1985, and he didn't return to it again until um, in the early 2000s when he came back and did uh, Land of the Dead, which was uh, a part of a new trilogy of Living Dead films, which was started off with Land of the Dead, then it was Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead. Uh, but Land of the Dead was the film he kind of wanted to make if he'd had the budget when he made Day of the Dead. You know, it's I think the budget for Land of the Dead is only something like nine or ten million, but it's much bigger than he had for Day of the Dead. It's a much uh, bigger film in general, and the scope of it, he tries to do more with, you know, um, progressing the evolution of the zombie characters and how they start to uh, learn, they start to adapt, 
and uh, it's then kind of reflecting the society of what um, the, the human characters have gone through in his previous three films and how they've devolved uh, alongside these the, the zombies. So it's kind of, it's a very interesting uh, concept. I know not everybody likes his new Land of the Dead films, but it was kind of the, the series that almost almost put me back on to, to liking zombie films because it was I, I did see his Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead when I was much younger uh, and obviously you know they have a lasting impression but then it's kind of like oh well that's just the nostalgia of seeing horror films when you're young and it was the, the Land of the Dead which I saw which which put me back onto George A. Romero so I'm kind of thankful that he came back to the series and so it's kind of like a, a personal favourite uh, comeback if you like but then there was Diary of the Dead, so... Yeah, I like Diary of the Dead. <laughs> no! Survival of the Dead, lesser... I, I've said this before, you know, I'm, I see a lot of positives in the found footage um, format. And I know not everybody likes it, and everybody thinks it's a, a good way of making films. It's okay, it's a cheap way of doing it. It's a bit of a, a cop-out in, in certain storyline... Uh, you know, twists and things like that, but I, I, I think it's quite um, quite an interesting style, and I think in Diary of the Dead, he puts his own spin on it, so you get you get a film footage film, but what you get is a George A. Romero footage film, and it's quite nice in the way that it kind of ties both Survival of the Dead and Land of the Dead together, this sort of kind of interconnecting pattern that flows through them, and again, it helps with this whole evolution of the, the zombies kind of thing, and the de- devolution of... Um, uh, of humans. I th- so, yeah, Diary of the Dead I quite like as well. Survival of the Dead, yeah, is a bit crap. I'll, I'll admit Survival of the Dead's not his finest moment. But Diary of the Dead's okay. Land of the Dead is much better. Right. Yeah, Land of the Dead is pretty good. Okay. Uh, Carol, what did you put in your three? Um, okay, so <coughs> I've gone for a, a yeah, more liberal interpretation of the, of the comeback uh, theme. My first comeback, definitely in a cinematic sense, is Joss Whedon uh, because he started off who did you say who? No, I said mm. <laughs> <laughs> just joking. Uh, he started off in the mid nineties, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which wasn't a very successful film. Uh, spawned a very very successful television show, but the original film was just a complete dud. Um, so he kind of did a bit of script writing for a, for a little while. Alien Three, which I think probably no one wants to talk about. Uh, did a bit on Toy Story. Did a bit on X Men. Did the funniest line on X Men. Um, and then uh, kind of went fly, went to make Firefly. That obviously got cancelled. He made Serenity uh, after a lot of kind of brouhaha from the fans, which did okay, but wasn't amazing. So that was 2005. And then for some um, unknown reason, Marvel trusted him with their biggest franchise ever, and it made over a billion dollars, which I think, because when Joss Whedon was announced, I was, yes, I was thinking, this is going to be fantastic. I was, I'm a big fan of his in general, and I really liked his work on Astonishing X-Men, he did a, a four-story arc for that. And uh, I, so I knew he could handle ensembles, big ensemble uh, casts, so I was not worried at all. I know a lot of people were because he didn't have really a pedigree uh, that had big box office success behind him. But I think he well and truly kind of made made the step into the big league with that, definitely. Um, my second choice in Triple Bill it's probably the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. It's like 67, <laughs> 67 million years, guys. But, um, yeah, just amazing. Amazing comeback there. I think uh, not quite as long as Sylvester Stallone, but almost, I think. Um, well, they weren't real. They were, they were fake. What? Um, that's a bit of a spoiler. They're fake. What? They, were, they were made out of, they were puppets. <laughs> so they didn't really bring back dinosaurs. But, um, no, no, it's a great choice. I... But if, uh, I love Jurassic Park. But if we were living in the same, if we were living in that film, Owen, they would have been real. Yeah. And that's the point I, we're trying I to make here. I believe they're real. But seriously, every time I see Jurassic Park, and I, I do quite often sit and watch it, it's on TV, even though I do own all the films, uh, the, the special effects are just incredible, aren't they? They're just, they're over 20 years old now, and they put most current day blockbusters to shame it's just it's incredible I know a lot of it was puppetry 
but obviously there are some bits that aren't, like the T-Rex in the canteen. Yeah, that'd be uh, a bloody big puppet, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it just looks, it looks amazing. It's so awe-inspiring. It's absolutely fantastic. Well, we've got Jurassic World coming out next year. Well, it's got Chris Pratt in it, so I'm kind of hopeful now. And hasn't Samuel L. Jackson been whoring himself out to this one as well? I don't know if he's actually in it, but he said his character never actually... They never actually saw his character die in it, so there's no. Re- he said the same about Star Wars as well, lad. He said they, we never actually saw Mace Windu die, so there's no reason why I couldn't be in them. I'm sure he said that. He's basically just whoring himself yeah. out for every major franchise. Isn't yeah. he? He's not. He's not happy just being in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He wants to be everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> he does improve a film, Samuel L. Jackson. I know he's like in every film in the '90s and the early 2000s. He pops up in some role or other, but he does generally improve films that he's in. It never makes it worse, put it that way. I don't know about improving a film. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but yeah, he's, you know, he's right. Blue and stuff, you know. Oh yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, I, I probably yeah. I switch it off when he when he dies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he is right about his character in Jurassic Park. Actually, you only ever see the arm, don't you? Hmm. And people Which, can live without an arm. We saw that in the Winter Soldier. Well, so, yeah, spoiler alert. Well, I've out, been out now for a while. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that, that is a really good point, actually. So, uh, yeah. So, the uh, dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. Um, but my my top number one comeback is actually a one-liner, uh, which will come as no surprise to anyone that vaguely knows me, uh, is the scene in Ghostbusters where they're in the mayor's office and Walter Peck, the EPA guy, is talking to the mayor and he's trying to convince the mayor that uh, the Ghostbusters are basically frauds and uh, Stan says everything was fine with our grid until it was shot off by Dickless here and the mayor says is this true and Venkman says yes it's true this man has no dick and that is the greatest (laughs) comeback in the history of everything I think in my personal opinion there you go (laughs) across the board use of the term comeback Um, my three now first one is a career comeback. It's Robert Downey Jr., who um, was a pretty big deal for a time in his early early career, um, and then he got into drugs, like many people in Hollywood do, um, and he was getting sacked from doing a voice for an animated series, and and ended up on Ali McBeal as well. I mean, that's what drugs. How low can you go? Yeah, that's what drugs do. <laughs> that's what drugs do to you. So he ended up going into rehab. Um, and come out of rehab, uh, um, and he made he he was making Gothica, where the producer withheld forty percent of his salary until after the film was finished, in case he started getting on the drugs again and not making the film, as he got a kind of reputation for not finishing films and getting fired because he was high as a kite on whatever drugs he could inject or stick up his nose. Um, but his rehab obviously was a success, and his career started to get back on track. Um, he was in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and, and Zodiac and some smaller films before the aforementioned Joss Whedon took a, a chance on him and cast him as Iron Man um, and Iron Man was the first well he was the first um, in the new series of, of Avengers um, Marvel comic book films and it was him as Iron Man who kind of kick-started the success that they've had um, he also was in Tropic Thunder, which was pretty good. Um, and the Sherlock Holmes films that kind of I was a bit nonplussed about, but they did very well at the box office. So he, he kind of ended up coming back from rehab and getting into kind of being a big box office draw. That's a really good call. Um, second, yeah, it's a very successful comeback. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Certainly not gone wrong for him, has it? No. No. And the second, the next two choices I've got are ones to do more with plot than an actual person. The the first of these come in a World War Two film, and it's half time, and the players are trying to escape through a tunnel made in the bath. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone yeah. is trying to lead the players out to freedom through through a tunnel dug by the French resistance to save the team that have been put in what is essentially a propaganda match against the Nazi uh, Germany 11. 
And I think I think they're four one down at half time um, when obviously this escape bid takes place. But then Pele in um, probably one of the greatest acting performances I've seen from a footballer um, with competition coming from Vinnie Jones and Stan Collymore in Basic Instinct 2. Um, it convinces the team to come back, along with a number of other Ipswich Town players, convinces the team to, to come back and play the second half. And they do. And they come back, not in, you know, in more than one comeback here. They come back onto the pitch, even though they're about to leg it. And they come back to draw for all. I mean, I thought making it a win would have probably been a better outcome than a draw. But, you know, they draw for all with the German, uh, the Nazi Germany team and a, and a bent referee. Uh, and there's a pitch invasion that subsequently rescues all the players to freedom. So it all works out well in the end for them. I think it, I'm pretty sure it was four-one at half-time, and it ended up four, it ended up four-all. So I remember in the, in the film, Stallone was the goalkeeper, and he wanted to score the winning goal until everyone was like, "No, that's not how football works." Um, so they put the penalty save in for him, and and apparently as well, he said that it was harder training for Escape to Victory than it was for Rocky. So. Well, yeah, yeah. you know, against yeah. Pele. Yeah, and John Walk. <laughs> <laughs> Another reference that our non-English listeners won't have a clue about. And, and the final, the final one is is Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, and the rebels are attacking the Death Star, but there's only Luke Skywalker left. Everyone else is either dead or had their ship, uh, dis- you know, destroyed to an extent where they can't continue into the battle. It's damaged that much. They've had the, so it's Luke Skywalker and the voice of Obi Wan Kenobi in his ear, um, and you and he's got Darth Vader and a couple of other pilots on his tail, and you think, is he going to do it? I mean, realistically, you know he's going to do it. He's the good guy, and it's right near the end of the film. But you know, there's always this, like the bit of doubt in your mind: is he going to do it? And then out of nowhere comes the Millennium Falcon with Han Solo and Chewbacca, who shoots the the Imperial pilots and Darth Vader out of the sky, letting Luke. Uh, put the final shot away and destroy the Death Star. So the comeback there is Han Solo and Chewbacca because if you haven't seen it before, you know Han Solo does come across as a bit of a knob in the film, and you would think if he didn't come back, if he didn't come back, I know he's really cool and everything, but he's a bit arrogant. He's a bit and there's no, and there's no motive throughout the whole film. There's no motive or no reason for him to join the, the rebellion. He's just like, no, I want my money and I'm getting out of here. So if he didn't come back, you wouldn't have been surprised, but he does. I think Chewbacca was in his ear a bit, you know, saying we got to do this. Come on, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's the oh, right okay. thing to do. So I'm trying to imagine Chewbacca whispering. Wookiees can whisper. Um, but yes, that's my final comeback. Um, I don't suppose you got this on Twitter in time, did you, Owen? Unfortunately, not. No. No. We might ask it after the podcast and then just sort of retweets and mentions. Mm. Yes. Um, this, that's all for Triple Bill. Um, we'll be back around the same time next week. Before we go, though, some quick recommendations for the week ahead. I'm going with um, BBC Three on Friday night, nine o'clock, Tropic Thunder. Uh, Owen? Good choice. Um, on well, it's Wednesday evening, Thursday morning, if you like. It's, um, five to one in the morning on which is Thursday morning, Wednesday evening, is, uh, well, Film 4 are showing a load of Akira Kurosawa films again, and they're actually showing Yojimbo, which is the film that was, re- you know, famously remade by Sergio Leone as uh, A Fistful of Dollars, which is about a samurai who wanders into a town and uh, uh, decides that he's going to play these two bandit clans off each other and hijinks ensue. Yeah, it's a really good film. It's brilliant. It's one of my favourite Akira Kurosawa films. And uh, you should, you, I mean, if you don't watch, um, you know, if you watch any Akira Kurosawa film that's left in this run, Yojimbo is the one to watch. I think. You know, they've got Throne of Blood and uh, the Hidden Fortress has been on already. I think so. Yeah, Yojimbo is just the one that's just the most outright fun, entertaining uh, samurai film that he made. I think. Okay, Carol. 
Uh, yeah, thanks for that, Owen, because you are actually responsible for putting my TiVo box over 80% full again. <laughs> yeah, because you retweeted that the other day, because I, I didn't actually notice they're putting them all on really early in the morning, aren't they? Um, yeah. My personal recommendation, it's probably one that a lot, of, a lot of sin, but I don't see it come up on TV too often, um, but it's on Monday, 20 past one in the afternoon on Film 4. It's The Towering Inferno, and I absolutely love The Towering Inferno. I, I hardly ever see it on TV. Um, if you haven't seen it, give it a watch. It's uh, Paul Newman and, and Steve McQueen. Um, one of them's the architects of a, a massive tower, a massive um, block, and the other one's a fireman which, who comes in when it all obviously starts catching a light. Uh, but it's a lot more lot more dramatic than it sounds. Um, and a fun fact is the uh, their, con- their contracts for the film stated they had to have exactly the same amount of lines and they had to have the same billing. Um, so oh, yeah, yeah. Paul Newman's in it a lot at the beginning and then once the place catches fire spoiler alert uh, Steve McQueen comes in as a firefighter and that's why you, you hardly hear anything from Paul Newman after Steve McQueen comes in but it's, <laughs> uh, it's a really entertaining film um, and so I hardly ever see it on TV so it's definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it okay. Is this the one you mentioned the poster is it the one where they've got their faces at the same level on yeah, it, and, and then the, it's like the names are the other way round, or yeah, the names are one slightly lower than the other. I think because you see, one's one's in the one's on the left is lower, and one on the right is higher. I think if I remember correctly. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Just like as a, a a complete and utter tangent again with. Newman. I felt really old at work this week. We've got some people who are working for us, and they're a bit younger than I am. I'm only 27, by the way, but we've got some people who are a bit younger. And uh, there's a guy who we've been working with called Gary Newman. And I'm saying, oh yeah, Gary Newman, you know, same guy as he's going to come along and sing the song Cars to us. So he goes, uh, what, the guy from Magnificent Seven? I was like, what? No, that's, that's Paul Newman. He's had absolutely no idea who Gary Newman was. I felt really old at that point. As you should. Yeah. <laughs> if James was here, you know, <laughs> I'd be all right. I'm, I'd be one of the younger ones again, but he's not. The old man. Uh, that's all for this week's podcast. So thanks for everyone who's listened. Um, you can find us on the website, www.failedcritics.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as well. Um, we'll be back around the same time next week. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics and on Twitter at at failedcritics. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.